Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time for Mortgage Matters. Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It's another live episode of Mortgage Matters. It's a beautiful July Saturday morning. I hear there's a car show in Arroyo Grande. Sounds kind of nice. Starting right now, actually. Starting right now. Started five minutes ago. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're looking for something to do, that sounds like fun. Get outside, enjoy the nice weather. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you if you're sticking around from listening to the Motor Mouth Show. I always enjoy listening to them as I drive in. I learn a thing here or there. Learned about some light housing changes and exactly. brittleness. That, psh, mm -hmm. News to me. Good mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm Dan Podesto. I'm, I'm here uh, representing Central Coast Lending. And if you feel that extra bit of enthusiasm in the studio this morning, it's the gentleman to my left. That's it's right. Michael Points. Good morning, everyone. I'm here in the flesh. That's right. He's 80% awake. <laughs> Mike's, uh, you pr you've probably heard him before if you're a regular listener. He's been on the show several times and I uh, like, to, like to get the fresh blood in here just to get some new views, new yeah. views on things. Yeah, it's nice to be, uh, it, this is probably my fifth time back and every time gets more and more comfortable. But uh, what I like more about where we're at in the, in the mortgage world today than we were when I first started the show is I've seen a couple cycles. I've seen volatility really happen um, more so this year than any year I've ever really watched the marketplace. So, you know, one of the things we'll probably hit on today, I'm sure is, you know, all of a sudden mortgage rates are slightly back down because of what's going on in the stock market, the world in general. And mm -hmm. it makes, it makes looking forward to the show, being on the show during the week, much more exciting. Sure, it's more exciting when there's lower rates to talk about, but um, more more so the fact that you know every day there's news out there that we want you listeners to be aware of, and um, I, I'm just glad that I get to share it with you. Yeah, it's uh, it's something that we have to pay attention to every day. It it impacts how we do our job, how we advise clients. So, um, you know, the whole point of the show is to share what we're doing, our approach to the whole mortgage business. We want to share that with you so that you, um, when it's time for you to, to engage in a transaction, whether it's a purchase or a refinance, you know that you're dealing with experts. You know you're, you've got people that have built some rapport with you over time and, uh, and hopefully we've built some trust with you as well. Um, so that's what's coming up. We've got two hours. It's Mike and I back and forth. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, you know, as I was driving in, I, I just before we get into the meat and potatoes of today, um, you know, I heard Jim pull out this amazing vintage ad and I think you do it every week, right? For the motor mouths. I do. I'm actually. wondering where the vintage mortgage ads are. Where? I could try. I'll, I'll try for you, Dan. <laughs> From like Haiti, 1982. I mean, yeah. We've been, we've been. I mean, the mortgage market's been alive for a long time. I mean, the the the, the fixed mortgage market, as we know, it's been alive since the the 30s. Mm -hmm. You know, mortgages have been around since even before then. I mean, where's the vintage commercials? Come I'll on, I'll have to try something for you. 
Remember when you can house buy a house for five thousand dollars, something along those lines, and you have to yeah mortgage five thousand dollars. Well, then I started <laughs> thinking about the kinds of commercials you might find, and yeah. right. they might not be the best. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Come five here, kids. Fog this mirror. Yeah. <laughs> that was 2004's commercial, right? Yeah. Or maybe something from some sort of company that maybe had problems with the FTC or something along those lines or the SEC or something, you know. We've got a mortgage for uh -huh. you. Sure, it grows, but you'll uh -huh. be able to sell your house for more. Yeah. yeah. Don't exactly. worry. Uh -huh. Right. 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 Your income's growing too. <laughs> All right. Well, that would be good. Vintage commercial would be good. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Why is it that every vintage commercial kind of sounds like it, you're uh, carrying a Tommy gun? Is that just me? <laughs> no? That, that, that guy did kind of sound like he was, you know, a gangster <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Didn't he? yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Speaking of vintage commercials, I played Monopoly, the original Monopoly, last night. Oh. I haven't played in a long time. I love that game. And I got to tell you, I don't, I think the last time I played, I was like 12, maybe 14, you know, and you just basically mm -hmm. land on spaces and buy them and you don't know what the heck you're doing. But yeah. last night we divvied up the responsibilities and I was the real estate attorney, therefore the person who reads the rules. Ah. And man, oh man, that game is fun. It is I, fun. Mortgage, you can do mortgage stuff. I mean, my wife just cleaned us up, mm -hmm. unfortunately, <laughs> but uh, she... Well, I shouldn't say sheep. We had a great time just going through all the details. And it's funny if you think about it. That's a board game, right, that was created years ago. I don't even know when it first came out. I have no idea. Yeah, uh, me, let me see. If that'd I be a good. That'd see, be a good I'll see Google if I can that. find that for you guys. Google that, <laughs> Maybe I'll even see if I can find a vintage Monopoly commercial. And uh, so much of it was, and I'm going to tie this back in. Don't worry. I'm not okay. just going to talk yeah. about board no, games. Go for it. So much of the smart moves were me reading the rules to people them understanding okay i can do that i can i can put some houses on this property and increase my rents and uh it was fun you know i didn't i wasn't mentioning at the time as we were having wine having a good time but i'm thinking like wow this is like pretty much what my job is <laughs> like you know i'm I, we deal with investors uh, i want the listeners to know that we're not just always dealing with first-time home buyers we talk to them about things like adjustable rate mortgages using them wisely people who want to move from you know, their current house, not sell their current house, buy the dream house in Morro Bay, Cayucos. But, um, you know, they run into that problem where they want to get a fixed mortgage because they like the way it feels, sounds, makes them prepare for the next stage of their life, but they can't quite afford the current housing payment on the home that they will sell after they move into the next one. And they can't afford, obviously, the new housing payment at the same time. So, um, you know, Dan, I, I feel like we really coach people on how to do that. One of the ways to get around that instead of doing a four and a quarter, four and a half fixed 30 year mortgage is do a three year arm that's doing 3.5 today. Get your debt to income ratio down just for the transaction period. When you net out sales on your old home, let's say $150,000, $250,000 are coming to you, let's do a refinance. I know it's two escrows. But it sure makes a heck of a lot of sense if you don't want to get stuck in that limbo mode where now your house is on the market, but you haven't found a house yet, right? How many times do we hear that? Yeah, it happens a lot. That's why we see a lot of contingent offers, mm -hmm. <clears throat> especially with housing supply being so short right now. So yeah, it's a, a lot of of what we do is is listening to people and understanding their situation so that then we can offer the different mortgage products that might help them. 
True. And if I'm being perfectly honest, just like last night, I sometimes have to go to the rule book and say, okay, (laughs) let me look at the guideline here. Okay, here's what it reads. We can execute this. This is exactly what we can do. You know, we may not be taking over. You got it, Jim? Yeah, I found some information about Monopoly. Okay, it can treat, it's actually started in 1903. Oh, we got it. 1903. Wow. But the first version as we know it today was uh, published by Parker Brothers in 1935. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, does anyone know? You can call in two listeners, trivia question. Does anyone know what is our call in number again? Five four three eight eight three zero. I forgot it. I'm glad. Five four three eight eight three zero. Oh, they work here every day. Um, and I forgot. That. How does the game end? How does Monopoly end? Oh, I think when somebody is who wins yeah, when someone it. storms out by throwing their money down and, <laughs> and swiping their arm across the board. I think that's what happens. Like the old poker movies. Yeah. They just flip the table <laughs> and they start shooting. Yeah. <laughs> it's when relationships are on the verge. Yeah. <laughs> That's when it's over. I think it's uh, kind of funny, though, that you can pick up like a railroad for $500, you know, or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. It's like pro- property in New York for, oh, 300 bucks. Right. That's right. Yeah, yeah no, it really right. doesn't end. It, it just gets to this point where one person's yeah. like, what, no matter what you do, you're giving one person yeah. all of your money. Right. That's so fun. <laughs> so here's the, here's the answer, because I don't know if anyone's going to call in, but I'll just get to it. One player goes bankrupt. Oh, is that how? It, oh, you knew the answer. Yes, I know. Oh, oh, yeah. okay. Uh, one player goes bankrupt, then you um, count out assets for the remaining players who he who has, he or she he or she who has the most assets wins. Yeah. And usually that's like the knockout punch. Someone's trying to knock someone out, you know, landing on Park Place with the apartment. It's like, you owe me $2,600. Yeah. And uh, so anyways, I had fun last night with that. If you haven't played Monopoly in a while, listeners, break it out, read the rules, and have a good time. I recommend, you know, some level of alcohol. Family and friend time, too. It's really cool. Yeah. And you can teach your kid a, a little bit about spending. True. Very true educational there was a game that i played growing up with my dad that i don't think no no one else that i i was aware of that that played this game also called careers you ever Mm. heard it Mm. it's it's um that's interesting it's a board game very you know little board game go around and around and you've got these different opportunities to try different careers and earn money or fame or um i forgot what the other part was but anyways, sure. yeah, you accumulate points. You're you're shooting for a, a retirement goal, basically. And that's interesting that yeah, retirement's cool. the goal. Yeah, not like a IPO sell-off like now, right? <laughs> At thirty, yeah, just create a software company and sell it for millions of dollars. Anyways, yeah. games are fun. I wanted to bring up Monopoly. Still on my mind. Yeah. Relevant, I feel. You weren't the winner. No. Okay. And I did not take my wife to work today. I didn't drive her. I didn't kiss her goodnight last night. <laughs> didn't even make her coffee. You guys didn't get to the bankruptcy buyout, did you? You flipped the board. No, we did. <laughs> we did. Erica took out my mother-in-law. <laughs> hey, the women will be happy to know that, according to this, that it was a woman that invented Monopoly. Really? Oh, it's a brilliant game. Lizzie Maggie was her name. Received a patent for her game known as the Landlord's Game. Mm-hmm. Which became Monopoly. Mm-hmm. I thought it was that little bald guy. Yeah, no. With so the monocle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Guess not. Learn something new. That's right. Speaking of Monopoly, <laughs> should we talk about mortgage? <laughs> sure. 
as you can see, it's gonna be it's gonna be a different kind of show today. That's so right. we're uh, laid back. We're yeah. gonna go ahead and just you know you can call in at any time, any time if you want to participate. Maybe redirect the show if we get off track. You can call us at five four three eight eight three zero five four three eight eight three zero. Uh, we love questions, comments, uh, topics to discuss. It's your show. Participate. Mm-hmm. So, we had. Uh, I mean, we could jump into news. We've got some uh, some guideline changes that might be interesting to people that I I found interesting. It might impact some people's ability to qualify. Um, but I think you know, housing news was kind of the the headline of the week. There were some correct. Some numbers, just, you know, the monthly numbers as far as new home and existing home sales. Did you happen to catch those? Yeah, I did, actually. I was able to uh, read not only this morning, but uh, midweek, it started to heat up with the, um, well, the news on housing sales coming in from the the housing authority. We are, like, white hot right now, the nation. Yeah, um, I would say I don't know if I feel white hot here on the Central Coast, but um, definitely California is white hot. And what I mean by that is, where um, prices are continuing to rise, and we are at—I think we're at ninety. We just bumped our goal for to ex- probably reach five point five million houses sold in the year. We're on track to do that, and before this week excuse me, before this month, we were at, we were only going to do 5.4. So all of a sudden out of nowhere, you know, a hundred thousand more houses have just popped up. Yeah. So the number Mike's referring to is the existing home sales number. Those are the previously occupied homes, excuse me, as reported by National Association of Realtors was up 3.2% for the month, up nearly 10% year over year. And at nearly a 5.5 million annual pace, highest uh, rate of sales since 2007, which was at or slightly pre-bubble um, downturn, and uh, and median home price nationally was up 6.5 percent over the past 12 months to around 236 thousand um, dollars. But you referenced the, our local housing market and how it might be a little bit different. It was, um, I think last week or the week before I shared some local housing numbers. Mm. The numbers that we get locally are a little more delayed than the national numbers that we get. So I think we were looking at May. Okay. Um, but now you got you. It was very June. different. Yeah. I mean, it, we weren't up 10% on units sold year over year. It was more flat. Um, and, and obviously prices are very different. The median home price here is about double the national median home price. Right. But um, yeah, that's true. But sales, I think, really, what we're experiencing here locally is just the the inventory shortage. And nationally, it's a story, but I think it really gets um, exaggerated here. the The supply is so short here. Mm-hmm. The demand is huge. Um, anything that comes on at the low end of the market is gone right away. Um, the only real inventory that sticks around is stuff that's less affordable. Yeah, less affordable or just quite frankly, um, you know, priced horribly. Priced horribly or functionally obsolescent is a fun little word in our, in our industry. Say that five That means fast, it's yeah. weird. Um, <laughs> let's see here. Then, I, I was it on Friday? I think we had the new home sales number. 
And just kind of a shocker how opposite that one was. That one was um, a horrible number. New home sales were down um, nearly 7%. And um, was that a year-over-year or month-over-month number? No, that was actually just a month-over-month number. So it was down nearly 7% from the previous month. But we've now had... We've had two straight months of declining new home sales, but our new home sales are still up 18% from last year. So, you know, when you look at it seasonally, it's not too bad, but it's kind of surprising here. We're in the middle of home buying season. You know, the summer, school's out. It's an opportunity for families to move without disrupting their kids too much when it comes to school. It's just a, a more ideal time to move. It's historically the busier buying season of the year, and we're having a declining trend of new home sales. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's an odd situation that we've got going on. Not quite sure why that's occurring. I think it's going to be a quote-unquote Indian summer for the market. I think it'll hit late August. I was talking about this with one of our... We have a we have a bank that we do a lot of business with, really strong relationship. The account executive's just a brilliant guy. And he and I were just talking earlier this week about how he's seen a lot of new applications coming in for stuff that will close in August. Um, also September... You know, longer some longer escrows are a thing now mm-hmm. because uh, we're hitting that stride where, uh, like I mentioned in the beginning of this program today, people are trying to buy the new house and then sell the old house. So when, there's this window period, right, where you everyone's in escrow, but no one's listing yet because they're not sure how the escrow goes. And this is obviously somewhat of an opinion, but I feel like there's a little bit of an eye of the storm coming because I've also myself... You know, a week and a half ago, was turned around to look at my my personal pipeline and thought, "Wow, where did all the the uh, escrows go?" And then, boom! Just this week, three of them, boom! And then I've got a couple meetings next week that seem very promising. Yeah, we we as a company noticed that um, new loan applications were really really slowed down um, in I guess it would be April May. Yeah, um, and and I think the typical cycle, you know, you start to talk to a client about sixty days prior to a close. the The true application process, like once they're in escrow, is usually a thirty day right um, process. But but usually there's some pre approval going on prior to that. So I'd say forty five to sixty days is a typical life cycle of a of a of a file sure um, for us of a loan application and so we we saw some slowdown I always like you know like last week we had Wes on I whenever I get the opportunity to, to ask a realtor I ask them about the pace they're seeing because they'll often you know see a client and advise them that hey you need to get pre-approved before we get serious mm-hmm. for whatever reason it still seems to go realtor first it should be going lender first because Realtors always want to know if you're pre-approved. Right. But I like to see... The other question I like to ask, you know, about not just kind of what they're seeing, but are people talking to you about interest rates? Are they concerned that rising interest rates or are rising interest rates a motivator? Is that a factor in, in, in... people getting out and being active and looking for real estate right now. And um, last week when I asked Wes that, he he said that it was. It was something yes. that was on people's mind. Um, people are, you know, there's enough news and headlines going around about about the potential rate increase here later this year. 
and um, mm-hmm. and it's it's motivating. It's got people off the fence and uh, trying to make a move maybe sooner than later, just simply to um, secure a lower lower cost of funds. Yeah, in USA Today, this article is from Thursday this week. I've got here uh, a nice piece right under, right under Donald Trump, nonetheless, who's pointing at me, telling me <laughs> to vote for him, uh, that m- this writer, Paul Davidson, for, for USA Today, states that, yeah, there is definitely an increase in home sales activity due to worry of rates. You know, I can't get And we've talked about this the last couple months. If it goes to 4.5, I can't get a house that I really want to live in. It's not big enough for my family or, you know, for lack of better definition, it's not in a neighborhood I really want to live in because of the schools or convenience. So I got to get something now. And that makes them say, okay, the house is at 430. Rates are low today. Let's offer 435. Let's offer a little over asking price so that we get in, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, I mean we've we've done that raises the price. We've done the math, you know, when when if if at four percent interest you can afford a five hundred thousand dollar home, when rates go to five percent, you can afford a four thousand four hundred thousand dollar home. That's right. So it it can greatly impact your purchase power um, if you're at the edge of qualification. For someone who's you know got more disposable income, they. It may just be more of a comfort thing, you know. What sure. are we comfortable paying? Sure. Um, not that you couldn't get qualified for for that that still higher priced home, but you know, a lot of people, and this is something we discussed here recently, is that a lot of people, regardless of their income, are are not cons- are not interested in pushing to the max of what they can qualify for, um, but more more sticking to a plan, a, a financial plan within their their household. You know, we. This is what we're comfortable spending, and they're sticking to that, and I think that's good. After coming through this last economic cycle here, it's um, it's good that people have are, are doing that. I like to call it live within your means um, type of planning. I think it's important to do that, regardless of whether we're in the good or the bad time. I don't think the power brokers like to hear you talk like that, Dan. Well, I uh, <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is a great time to uh, take a first break here of the show. We're uh, off to a good start. Again, if you'd like to participate in today's show, 543-8830 will get you to the the man. I mean, the gym is the, he's the gatekeeper here. I'm the man. That's wow. right. Awesome. Jim. And hey, if you don't want to ask your question or share your comment yeah. on the air live, if you're if you're a little shy, that's fine. Jim will uh, he'll be your your mouthpiece. I will. Give I'm us a call. Ready, willing, and able. All right, five four three eight eight three zero. We are going to step aside for these quick messages. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk nine twenty. To ask a question, call five four three eight eight three zero or eight hundred five four nine fifty eight thirty two. We'll be back in just a few minutes. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. Give yourself the best possible chance to buy your dream home with our 21-day close. We get you fully pre-approved before you find your house so you can write a shorter, easier offer and beat out the competition. It's time for you to be the offer that gets accepted. Call Central Coast Lending today. You buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. 
Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more, but now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Bright light said it gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul on fire. Got a whole lot of money that's ready to burn, so get those stakes up higher. There's a thousand pretty women waiting out there. there I, was, I was near Las Vegas this week, so, you know, I'm just that was good. Just keep it going. You got to go to the course. There it is. <laughs> and those are, you know, I had a choice of Elvis or the Dead Kennedys. On this song, you gotta go with Elvis. You've chosen wisely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, welcome back. How many mortgages Elvis had? (laughs) I don't think he needed a mortgage. Did you like At the end, he did. (laughs) A lot of cash out mortgages there. (laughs) I think Dan would love to write the mortgage on Graceland. Uh, I always thought it'd be cool to be like the, the preferred. Mortgage lender of like, like the a, entertainment industry, of, or of a, a, your favorite sports team, or something. I met a guy in that in the eighties was the CPA for the 49ers. Oh, I had lunch with him. That would be so cool. Yeah, I had no idea going to the lunch. It was when I lived up in Sac, Sacramento, and he, you know, he took a lunch with me. We were working out some referral relationship stuff, and you know, just getting to know him. And I was jaw dropped. Like the whole lunch, yeah. he just talked about the 49ers. John Taylor, the amazing wide receiver from the early 80s, uh, from the drive that caught that slam Game pass. winning touchdown. Yeah. yeah. All Super he Bowl wanted, winning touchdown. Super Bowl Sorry. winning. No, no. All he wanted to do was own a truck company and drive truck across the nation. And he does it today. Huh. Big rigs, bunch of trucks. That's his deal. That's cool. I'm like, uh, John Taylor? The John Taylor? Yeah. No kidding. And there were some other stories, which I won't share, but... Can you just imagine doing a loan for one of those guys? I need you to sign this form and this form. I need you to sign this. This is a football. <laughs> just sign it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, the banks need these now. Yeah. <laughs> need to prove you're you. Sourcing. Um, <laughs> hey, I think there was something newsworthy that I totally missed in the beginning of the show. Shoot. And it was... Uh, 
This past week, uh, Wednesday, I believe it was, uh, the Central Coast Lending softball team won the grudge match versus Morrison Garitano. That is correct. Um, always a big game, always a fun game, but uh, we got the best of those guys this time. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, they're like the Yankees. Uh-huh, they are. Their manager would like us to say they're like the Dodgers, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably more accurate now. You think so? I, do the Dodgers? I think the Dodgers are by far the number one payroll oh, in, uh, yeah. in baseball. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what they're like. Although they don't pay their players, I don't think. They might. Maybe that's how they're that's so good. That's possible. In yeah. softball? Yeah. I'm pretty sure they don't pay for food or beverage after the game. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, a little old that uh, was a good one. CCL pulled one out. Oh, yeah. Since we're talking about sports really quick, <laughs> I didn't know if, if you caught this, Dan, but last night the Giants I'd started. So we were Bay, talking news, yeah, I think. Mortgage <laughs> yeah, mortgage Yeah, That's, yeah, I know. It's We're in the Azerin selling season right now. It's not fair. The Giants are making another run. Man, when I was a kid, those were the those were the games. Well, I I do remember back to uh, long ago. I believe it was tw- 2014. Um, so that would be last year when the A's took. I think it was three out of four. Okay, from the Giants. Sure. So, yeah, we'll see. We're just this is game. That was game one of I think six we're playing this year. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. Even our hobbled team could uh, could come back. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you never know. We might be taking some players. Um, we might be taking some players in the trade as well. Yeah, you never know. I'd like to get another pitcher. We've got one. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to back to the business at hand. We uh, we were talking about the home sales numbers. I think it's just appropriate to talk about the FHFA home price index. It's the finance finan- the Federal Housing Finance Authority. Um, now this is the home price index that's based on. All of the appraisal data that comes in um, from mortgage transactions, whether they are purchases or refinances, it differs slightly from the Case-Shiller Home Price Index, which is really just based on sales data. Um, mm. So, so the FHFA, I, I, I like this one. This this gets a lot more data, obviously, because it's getting all the refinance transactions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think that it it is possibly a more accurate um, indication of, of home prices across the country. This one showed that uh, year over year, home prices were up 5.7%. And uh, just, I think they were up 0.4% um, month over month. So that's a that's a good number. That's a nice place to be. That's a sustainable type of, type of appreciation. Um, and Dan, that's national? That's state. a national figure, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah, national figure there. So it's good to see. Good to see that we're, you know, it was kind of scary when we were seeing those 10 and 20%. It kind of got everyone Is it a bubble? Worried, yeah, happening? that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've talked about it the last few shows. I've still heard people just anecdotally talking about the market today and is it overvalued? Would you buy housing today? Kind of the rhetorical, mm-hmm. I sure wouldn't question. Um, right. So I'd like to comment to that. Yeah, definitely. I think that so many people. Um, again, I in my past career in insurance, I worked with a lot of investors. Now I feel like it's kind of a, a natural shoe in for me to work with investors. So much of the market is still owned in cash. Okay, so if that's the case, we're not leveraging these properties as we were before. So if markets recorrect, if you know we drop 
down into like 16.5 in the Dow and in the you know everyone starts getting worried in the US we see some layoffs and the market turns down it's not going to be like people defaulting again there's not going to be a lot of underwater because these cash people will just say well that's the risk we took we've been collecting rents all the while on no mortgage you know i feel like a significant portion i i'm not going to state a number but i would say at least at least a third of these properties are just owned all cash. Uh, I think the numbers that I've I've read is that a, roughly fifty percent of housing in, across the country is owned free and clear. Wow, um, and that's really not much different from the bubble times. It's really not the people who really who yeah. There, there's always you know there's people who've owned real estate for ever, and it's been passed down through family you know through generations True. and things like that and that's what makes up the majority of that free and clear property um the i well, think that makes a lot of sense i think the big difference between the bubble we just went through and today is the type of mortgages that are um securing the real estate that is financed what we had when just in this last bubble cycle were mortgages that were you know, deferring interest and the principal balance is growing. Right. There were big adjustable features. There were things that made the mortgages unaffordable. There was stated income. So you couldn't, if you truly qualified based on your income, your debt to income ratio would have been blown out of the water. You know, so these people right. truly could not afford these loans, whether it was the monthly payment, whether it was the growing principal balance, whether it was the adjustment. And when push came to shove, these unaffordable mortgages that had no equity because they got a zero down loan on them. They just said, well, I can't afford it That's and I right. have no money in it. I'm going right. to take a hike. Today, there's at least for the most part, granted, there's VA and USDA where there's no down. But for the most part, people are putting at least some contribution into the down payment. And they're qualifying based on what they actually make today. Mm -hmm. Um so unless that's right the whole you know unless everybody who got a loan in the last five years lost their job overnight it's it's reasonable to believe that they can still afford those mortgages even if the value of the home has gone down right. the payment that they have is affordable and fixed mm -hmm. so we've eliminated the adjustment risk we've eliminated the you didn't qualify based on your real income risk and there's no deferred interest pay option arm loans where the balance is growing so all those big factors that contributed to the bubble are absent from today's loans so even if there is some price depreciation it's not gonna yield a you know a bunch of people walking away from homes because they can still afford them and they still have equity and they still have some skin in the game sure yeah, and that's that's a significant portion of why we got into trouble. You know, the other reason was, I mean, honestly, I was getting out of college back when that happened, but you had people making 50, 60 grand a year and their house was $700,000. And so the prices were also like disproportional. Yeah. Like in an area like let's say Natomas, California, You'd have people that like belong in a condo owning a four bedroom house where two of the rooms don't even have furniture in it. You know, like, what's this room? Oh, we just got that extra room when we bought the house. We just figured a $700,000 house. How'd you pull Natomas, California? 
Why not? Where is Natomas, California? Natomas, California is where yours truly grew up as a little boy. I did my oh, research. Wow. Yeah, that's where I went to elementary school and junior high. It's wow. a, where a little is suburb. No, yeah, still haven't answered the question. It's a little, <laughs> it's a little uh, community no on the west side of yeah. Sacramento. Okay. Northwestern? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, uh, Northwestern, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Off the 80, right? Off of I-5. Well, I-5. yeah, I five like fifty technically. Yeah, kind of uh, in between. Yeah, north of eighty. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah, or right at eighty and five. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, yeah. Natomas. <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah, the bubble, right? Yeah. So yeah, not as much. Not so no. much. Not I'm, so much at risk as it was before. I mean, I I do think that that values are really being driven right now due to that short supply. But you know, we've got a long way to go to catch up with the the demand side. So I don't think the supply, Excellent the, point. the demand supply is going to be solved overnight. I don't think it's going to be solved this year. It's probably going to be you know five to ten more years of consistent building. Um, before we really have solved the supply and demand dilemma right. that we're in. So I, you know, I, I do think that things are going to slow down a little bit, but I don't know. We're, there's some numbers out from the Mortgage Bankers Association this week that suggest otherwise. Yeah. And um, 4.5 by the end of the year is what they're saying. Yeah. Well, as far as rates there, I'm talking yeah. overall volume. What they're seeing is a shift. Um, we were talking about cash transactions and things like that. Um, in addition to about half of homes being owned free and clear across the country, the new purchases that are going on, about one-third have been all cash transactions, with the other two-thirds being financed. And the MBA is predicting that going forward, we're going to see more like a quarter of transactions being all cash. So a decline in the all cash transactions, and we're gonna see about three quarters of the purchase volume being financed. So yeah. while overall transactions might decline, the number of financed transactions might actually increase. Good, good to think. Yeah, I, and I talk about this, I, tr I have to convince certain investors that love to deal with cash. They say to me, Mike, you're a great guy. I don't understand why we would do business together. You know, I have cash. I acquire the property, I let it sit there, it works for me. But my my rebuttal to these people, and you know, I have to constantly remind them that a partial mortgage is not a bad thing. It's the, really an insurance policy. In some level, you're letting the bank share some risk with you, you're keeping cash on hand, and if the market dips downward, you didn't lose, you know, if you just put cash in an asset, you take the full exposure of what happens to that asset. If you share some risk with the bank and put a mortgage on it, yeah, you'll have some liabilities, but there's a guarantee that you're gonna cover that liability if you're continuing to rent the property. Yeah. So it's something, it's a strategy, you know, you need to start seeing a hybrid if you're an investor. At what point, just like in the, um, the stock market or securities, do I diversify to the level where I'm gonna buy some bonds, I'm gonna have some securities, I'm gonna have large blue chip stocks, but I'm also going to have some mutual funds. Well, the way I look at it bonds. is, can, what else could you be doing with that money? Can you put that money to work in another way to maybe um, maybe earn more than the 4% interest or 4.5% interest that you're going to pay on the mortgage? Um, for you know, 
and there's different schools of thought. All really close to home, my dad would he buys when he buys a rental property, it's all cash. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. Own a mortgage company over here. <laughs> but no, my dad, he's a very conservative guy. He would he buys them with all cash, and um, and that's just how he's always done it. And it proved to be a brilliant move through the downtime. He sure wasn't hurt through the downtime. He just kept collecting those rents. Um, right. But you know, there's. There's potentially the opportunity, maybe if you financed a little bit of it, maybe you could buy two homes. If you're really bullish on real estate, maybe you could finance it, split your cash up and, and make down payments on two homes. That's right. And, uh, and maybe your cash flow is still the same, but it's across two properties right. where if we continue to see 5.7% appreciation, that's better than four and a half percent on your investment property mortgage right mm -hmm. so it's it, different schools of thought it, it's different um people's desire for risk when it comes to investing you know maybe, maybe they only want one house and they want to take the rest of that money and put it in yep. a dot com or you know some other stock of, of some company that they really believe in there's a lot of it's the opportunity that you're um that you're presenting to yourself if you if you finance a little bit of a home purchase agreed for an investment property yep another great opportunity to think about an arm as well too well, ah. let's say you go the other way let's say instead of all cash you go zero down you know how would you go zero down i mean how would you is this a good time for us to do that sure so we had a we had a caller here just a moment ago um Ask: Is it wise right now to get into a loan with a zero percent with zero percent down? And so there, there's a couple of there's a few different ways you can purchase a home with no money down. Um, if you're a veteran, that's right. There's a VA offers 100 percent financing for all veterans, um, spouses, and I forgot. There's a few other ways if you're related to a veteran. Yeah, you could, obviously you could have a widowed. Yeah, spouse. a widowed spouse, I think. Um, I believe there is, uh, with some caveats, but if you're a divorcee of a veteran, you can also purchase a home zero down. So VA is, uh, and, and VA continues to be one of the, if not the best way to buy a home. If you're a veteran, man, that's a great loan. The, there's no mortgage insurance, there's no down payment requirement, and the interest rates are great they're they're better than conventional interest rates and um and the fees that you pay are limited um mm -hmm. by va va restricts the the fees that you will pay so you'll never be gouged um va is looking out for you so that's a great way to get in with zero down we also live in an area that's considered very rural and there is a rural housing program offered by the united states department of agriculture we call it the usda loan um, and that is a zero down program. That one's a little more restrictive, um, but still another great way for first time home buyers in particular to buy housing. Um, there is a mortgage insurance component, although it's, it's much smaller than um, like an FHA or even most conventional programs. Yep. And the interest rates there are also great. They're that government interest rate, a little below conventional market. Something yeah, like the trade-off. Unfortunately, the trade-off, as you mentioned, this this product you mentioned, Dan, with with FHA, is that the mortgage insurance is quite a hit. I mean, it, FHA is a lot more expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they're hyper leveraged. You yeah, know, in any of these, you're hyper leveraged. I mean, you don't own any equity, is what I mean, and you you're taking on the risk every month of 
like the stuff we've just been talking about. The market. But you still have a 30-year fixed mortgage. Correct. At a, on, and, and the qualification for a USDA loan is more restrictive than any other loan program. Um, and when I say restrictive, I'm talking about the debt-to-income ratio, your ability to afford based on your monthly income. Um, mm-hmm. Most loan programs, conventional will go up to 45 or 50% debt-to-income ratio. Um, FHA will go up to a 57% debt-to-income ratio. VA, we've seen it go north of 60%. Mm-hmm. USDA, max debt-to-income ratio, the, the written rule is 41%. We've seen it go as high as 43 44%. Um, but they also restrict just the housing debt-to-income right. to ratio, the housing debt-to-income um, to a maximum of, it's, it's about 34. 33 34%. 34 is what we've seen recently. Um, so there, it's a really restrictive program. It's also res, it's it's limited to um, certain geographical areas. So within our county, within San Luis Obispo County, it's eligible everywhere except San Luis Obispo City and the five cities area. Yeah. Um, so there's a little bit of a geographic restriction, and then there's an income cap. You cannot make over $86,700 annually as a household. That's right. So that's all members of your household. If you're a one to four person family, if you're a five to eight person family, the income cap goes up to $112,000, ish It's the same as the community, my yeah. community mortgage. So the, those are a, a couple of the ways to get zero down loans. Yeah. And for these listeners that are like, wait a second, this sounds pretty good. Let me just share an actual story with you. I had a borrower that we worked with for about four or five months. Um, you know, you've got to find, and let me just say this really quick, sidebar. You'll Google um, USDA eligibility or eligibility.sc.egov.usda.gov. And you can actually plug in the address. That was a long Yeah, I'm not going to say that again. (laughs) You can find it. Yeah, USDA eligibility. You can plug in the address for any of these single-family homes, and it'll tell you that address is eligible for a USDA loan. So that's definitely a factor. But back to my story. This borrower came to me, um, a state worker, um, makes about 65K a year. And we found a house for him in Paso Robles between the USDA program and my guidance with how to um, help him make an offer on the house. He ended up walking away from escrow with a brand, not a brand new property, but 10-year-old property in Paso Robles, about 12, 13 blocks from downtown Paso Robles. And he spent $900 yeah. down. We've seen it $900. so many times um, with USDA the the interest rates are so great they're the all of the government loans have the lowest interest rate they're they're lower than conventional and there's advantages and disadvantages of each program but you know a conventional loan today if it's four and a quarter you're probably looking at three and three quarters on an fha va or usda loan so you've got a great interest rate on usda you've got a zero down payment requirement and um Oftentimes, we'll see maybe a seller credit or maybe That's right. just That's what we did. maybe they've gone with a little bit of a rebate pricing, so they get a little bit higher interest rate because it's still an affordable payment, um, and they'll get some closing cost credit because of the interest rate they've selected, and they can literally own a home for less than $1,000 out of pocket. So the caller who called in asked, is it wise That's to right. use these programs? Is it a wise decision? And I'm going to argue that it is. 
Okay. I, I know, you know, the, the concern is that, isn't this how we got in the, this mess in the first place, right? That's always the concern when you have no skin in the game, right. these terms that we love to talk about. Um, this is different. Like, like we already described, the qualification is based on showing all of your cards. Yep. Show me your pay stubs. Show me your W-2s. Show me your tax returns, bank statements. I need to see it all. I need to see that you have a history of stable employment, mm -hmm. a history of earning income. And if your income's fluctuated a lot, we're going to look at it more critically. We're going to do conservative averages if you're an hourly employee. Mm -hmm. If your salary... You know, we pretty much just take your salary because that's what Straight you earn every forward, month. Yeah. But when you're hourly and your hours fluctuate and your pay maybe is fluctuated, we're going to take an average and it's going to be a more conservative average so that we're accounting for the, the times where you get sick or you, um, you know, take a vacation or whatever. And you're not getting paid. So we're all of the calculation is, is geared towards a worst case scenario. And it's it's showing all of your cards. And the debt-to-income ratio on particularly the USDA program is very conservative. VA is different. Um, well, the other calculation, let me just chime in really quick, Dan, is this. It's not so much do I put myself out there hoping that appreciation happens because I'm putting zero money down. Because that's, that's a crystal ball scenario. This guy was paying $1,550 a month in San Luis to live in San Luis. He now spends with county property taxes, with hazard insurance, with principal and interest, and mortgage insurance, eighteen thirty-eight a month. So a minimal increase in payment, but now there's some tax benefits, right. and there's that yeah. pride of ownership, and it's a fixed, a thirty-year fixed That's right. payment. Rent's Was the gonna, rent fixed? Not at all. It was fixed <laughs> for twelve months. Right. Excuse yeah. Me. Exactly. Your rent's going to change over time, and it's probably only going higher yeah when you own you've now you've got that pride of ownership you've got that home and mm -hmm. you come home to and, and the payment's not going to change on you so i think because we're showing all the cards because we've got a conservative um we and this goes for all the loan programs well i i'm thinking conventional even with conventional you're not going to get up to that 50 percent debt to income you're going to when you do the minimum down, so even there you're doing three or five percent down, we're gonna look at a more conservative debt to income ratio. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at people, can you afford the payment? Yeah. And as long Definitely. if you can demonstrate that you can afford the payment and that your income source is stable, then we're going to make that loan to you. And the idea is that even if homes even if homes um, you know, go down in value. You've still got a home that you can afford. Yeah. You're not going to be walking away because the payment's unaffordable and you have negative equity. That's right. You know, we're looking at, I just, yeah, I think we, it, it's, the risk has been lessened a lot. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And that's one of the things I love working, work. one of the things I love about working at Central Coast Lending is it's, through and through, we we become partners with our clients. We're not just a transaction organization. We really do have these conversations with people, and it makes me feel good about my job because, you know, this guy, after he got the house, within days, popped into the office, brought me a really nice bottle of rye whiskey, and he was, like, <laughs> so happy. You know, when's the last time you did that for a property manager yeah, that signed nice. him up on a new lease? I mean, that's just, it's just a so, just every day when he wakes up now, He's got 
property. I mean, how great is that for someone who is really in the middle class, stuck, not a lot of money saved up yet. He was a young, he's a little bit younger. It's terrific. Here's another thought on that question. Because the concern I know is no skin in the game. Isn't that person now incentivized? If anything goes bad at all, any little thing, um, aren't they just going to walk away from the home? Well, here's the alternative. Let's say we force them to scrape together, you know, 20,000 bucks or whatever it is to come up with a 5% down payment so they can do a conventional loan. Yeah. Now they have skin in the game, right? So it's a much safer deal. Yeah. Well, even if they've put 5% down and they do conventional and they have mortgage insurance there, mm -hmm. the interest rate's a little bit higher, the mm -hmm. mortgage insurance is a little bit higher, the overall payment, even with that down payment, is higher. So the USDA loan is still more affordable and... They haven't depleted all of their resources if they have any whatsoever, you know, that mm -hmm. to to own this home. Right. I'm more scared of the person who has depleted everything they have to to scrape together that down payment and they have a higher monthly payment. I'd rather have them, yeah. you know, maybe maintain that five or ten or whatever thousand dollars they have in the bank and have a lower monthly payment and have a little bit of reserve. Um, you look we, at the VA loan, the yeah. VA loan's even more affordable because there is no mortgage insurance at all. That's an even lower payment than USDA. So I think those give people the best chance at succeeding at home ownership because the monthly payment is fixed for 30 years and it's the lowest possible payment out there when you're looking at all of the minimum down loan programs. Yeah. People forget we're bankers too. You know, we don't just sell these mortgages. We help people understand the trade-off of taking a higher interest rate or putting more money down. And this transaction, I didn't want his reserves to be depleted either. So I advised him to offer slightly a bit more than asking price and ask the seller for a credit. We got all of his closing costs paid for, and the USDA was happy to let him spread that $6,000 over the course of 30 years and he was able to pay it off this mortgage. Now, he may not live in that house for 30 years. In fact, we talked about that. But he has six or seven grand in the bank, and he closed for $900, and he's set. So, yeah. Yeah. We, we, we help not just with rates are here today. We help you acquire homes wisely. Yeah. And so, you know, that that's our opinion on it. Obviously, we're probably a little biased. We, we work in financing mortgages and, and things like that. But if you have a different opinion, we'd love to hear it. We'd love to talk more about this issue. I think it's a it's an interesting, um, interesting topic to discuss. And uh, if you want to weigh in, call us in the next hour at 543-8830. We are rapidly approaching the top of the hour mandatory break. So we are going to step aside here for about five minutes. Um, but, you know, we have a whole nother hour coming to you. We've got a couple more, I think, interesting topics, not so newsy, more debatable type of topics that uh, we'll share with you in the, the second hour. There's a couple of interesting guideline updates from Fannie Mae that um, have prevented people from being able to qualify in the past couple of years that we'll talk about too in the next hour. So stick around uh, after this quick break. We'll be back with more Mortgage Matters. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason.
All right, welcome back. It's 10.05. One hour to go. One hour mortgage matters, and then the weekend begins. <laughs> Woohoo! Oh, man. What a week. What a week. At Central Coast Lending, we got a new phone system. That's right. Yeah. If you're uh, wanting to have a great phone experience in, a, in addition to your great mortgage experience, you can give us a call. Five four three phone experience. Oh yeah, it's good. The tone quality is just—I mean, we've got HD voice. It's HD. Yeah, you should try to call it and then put it over the air for the listeners and see if that'll work. Oh wow, that's not a good idea. Yeah, we'll just—we'll let people call us. Call experience. Just you know, you got to build the hype and then. Do we have Dan answering the phone or something? Or no, no, no. We've got—we've got a professional. Heidi's great. Doing it. Heidi's great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a very sophisticated phone system. Awesome. Lots of, yeah, great, great stuff. I'm pretty excited about it. Cool. Sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> so it turns out <laughs> that the mortgage industry is, <laughs> is getting a bit more lenient, wouldn't you say, Dan? Yeah. They were They're some, loosening up. They're ready to play ball cool, again. Uh, pretty cool guideline changes. The biggest one... And this is a product of the the bubble, right? What we saw, a lot of people knew they were they were in a in a pickle with their house, right? They had a payment they couldn't afford, and they had they couldn't afford it because they qualified with stated income, right? And uh, and they didn't have any skin in the game because it was a hundred percent financing. In fact, they might have um, got a loan that even grew the principal balance each month. And so with declining values, they had negative equity and an unaffordable payment. So what people were doing was, I'm going to buy a new home now, and then I'm going to ditch this one that's, right. that's just a total loser. Yeah, I'm going to walk away from it. But once I've secured the new home with my good credit, then I'm going to get rid of this one that I don't want it's anymore. It's called the mistress loan. Yeah. Well, this is, or right. <laughs> it's called a strategic default was what okay. we were calling them, right? Sorry. These are people who could truly afford because they can obviously afford to go get a second home here. Right. They can go buy a new home. They can afford it, but they didn't, this was just a bad asset, right? They didn't like this Toxic, one. Toxic, yep. It was, there was the, I didn't put any money into it. I, I don't want it. It's worth less than it, than I owe on it. That's right. I want to get rid of this thing that's weighing me down but i can't buy a new house with bad credit so they'd buy a new home and then they'd bail it's called buy and bail so fannie mae instituted a rule that said if you're going to qualify for a new home and the story in this situation always oh we're gonna rent that home out that's what we're gonna do we're gonna convert it to a rental sure um Fannie Mae caught onto this and said, okay, well, if you're going to convert your primary residence, your existing primary to a rental, yep. you need to have some equity in it so that we know you're not just going to walk away from your upside down house. We want right. to, if you're going to walk away, you're walking away from something that's got some equity built into it so we can foreclose on it properly and, um, and sell the home and get out from under it without losing a bunch of money on our side. <clears throat> so they said, you have to have 30% equity and you can't just write down some inflated value on the loan application of what your home is worth. Mm -hmm. We're going to, we have our own opinion of value. And if we disagree that there's not the required 30% equity, we're going to ask you to do an appraisal. Yep. And so they would verify that there's 30% equity in the departing residence. <clears throat> well, 
now that things have improved and uh, and that doesn't seem to be a trend anymore, um, they are now doing away with that requirement. The conversion of a principal residence to a rental um, effective, I think, uh, effective August, 1st, August right? 15th, okay. Um, okay. they will no longer require you to demonstrate any minimum amount of equity in the in the departing residence. Wow. So that's that's good. a is comfortability that level. That is a comfortability level that wasn't there at the beginning of this year. Yeah. Yeah. And there are still properties that are upside down, believe it or not. I, I'm still surprised by that, but but the folks who bought at the peak of the market, mm -hmm. you know, there's different pockets of the country have appreciated at different paces, and mm -hmm. there are still people that have negative equity, so there is still some risk that those people could now take advantage of this in a in a bad way. The buy and bail. Yeah, they could do the buy and bail thing, but I think there's been enough opportunity for those folks to refinance. You know, anyone who's hung on to a property since the peak of the market, what, 2007 or eight? Yeah. I mean, you've got to believe that they've figured out a way to afford this home or refinance it or take advantage of HARP, you know, or right. HAMP or, you know, all the different um, opportunities to lower their payment, that they've they've done what they can do to right their ship, um, that they're probably not going to be bailing on the home anymore. Yeah, you've got to you believe would, that, right? You do. I mean, why would you go through years and years of trials and tribulations just to bail? Yeah, and, to bail now. I right. just, I, I don't see it happening. So I think this is good. This is a good thing. Yeah. Um, you know, it was kind of a burden. I mean, some people truly do have yes. a, a home that, you know, they have 20% equity in. Yes. That they, they put down that money, yep. but now their family's grown and they need a bigger home. Mm -hmm. And um, and they are truly going to rent out this house That's because right. maybe they live in somewhere like San Luis Obispo where it can rent for gobs of money and they can actually have positive cash flow. Yes. Um, why are we not going to allow those people to qualify for that new home with the rental income? You know, so sure. yeah. and that, that was the issue. It wasn't that they couldn't buy a new home. It's that they couldn't use the rental income to qualify. Yeah, that was really it. You would have to qualify with both payments if you didn't have the equity. Now you can actually get the benefit of having that rental income into the calculation as well. True. Um, and let me add to that. I mean, the funny thing is people. So I've had a transaction like I'm in a transaction like this right now where we had to prove sufficient equity. And I knew just from the way that this borrower took care of her house and what their loan balance was in that we were going to be OK. But let's just say you're on the fence. I mean, if you hit a 28% sufficient equity, that doesn't, you know, the bank would would say, sorry, that's not sufficient. You need to bring, you know, you need to pay down that mortgage a bit and fix this situation. We need to cure this before we can fund your deal on your new home. Or there was another loophole, you know, because they would allow, if you had an existing rental, then you could count rental income in your qualification. So people would have to 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 get around this if you didn't have the 30% equity in order to still qualify for the new home purchase that you that you wanted. Right. Um you would have to move out of your existing home, you'd have to get a renter, you'd have to move into a rental yourself or go live with a family member or something. Yeah. You would get a renter, you'd get the the signed lease agreement on your on your departed residence mm -hmm. and you'd collect the first month's rent and security deposit and then a lender a, a bank would allow you to use those rents to qualify for your new home purchase but man what a hassle to get around that rule 
Well, Dan, this is where I would, just like I told you earlier in the show about Monopoly, go to the book and flip and say, actually, you have to have a lease that would start within 60 days of the closing of your new escrow. So you could live in the house, have a lease that closes in the next 60 days following the close of your escrow on the new home, and you will have to have a security deposit today that is deposited in your account. You can't just have an image of a security yeah. check. So, but, but yeah, it's a it's a little bit better, right? But it's not it's hard great. to find someone who wants to kick Two down a sec- yeah a security deposit and right. and rent sixty days. Right. I mean, that's a rare person who does that. So it's just there there were loopholes and, and ways to get around it, but it was a lot harder. Yeah, um, this is fantastic because it it is for us sitting in the seat of the advisor. It's a it's a little bit of a worry. I mean, you want that appraisal back like now, so we can say okay. Everything's fine. There's sufficient equity, but taking it away is great because it's going to allow people the opportunity to grow their wealth. Yeah, it still makes expand. sense. And just because this requirement is gone doesn't mean that it still won't be scrutinized by an underwriter when they see a departing residence that has minimal equity. Excellent. Point. That underwriter still has the right to ask for explanation. You know, make me feel good about this yep. borrower. Because, yep. you know, just because the rule's not there doesn't mean they can't question it. That's right. So this just affords a little more flexibility when qualifying. Um, another guideline update in this latest uh, release here is is the way assets are calculated. So with a lot of loan, it, and every loan application is run through an automated underwriting engine. So there's an engine that's been programmed with all of Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac's guidelines or FHA or whatever kind of program you're doing. And it evaluates the risk. It evaluates your credit, your income, your assets. And it looks at all these different risk factors and says, well, if you, you're just great. You know, you have a low debt to income ratio, great credit. Low loan to value. Yeah, low loan to value, you know, slam dunk. You've got this loan. If you're a little more risky, the engine might require that okay, you, you meet the credit score, you meet the debt to income, but you know we want to see that you have two months or six months right. of reserves. Right. You know, we want to see that you, can, that you have six months worth of this mortgage payment in reserve after closing this new loan. And we would run into issue, oh, well, you know, I, I'm not totally liquid. I've got a lot of my money put in a retirement account or... Mm-hmm. You know, I've got it in stocks and bonds. You know, I've got my money working for me. It's not just sitting in the bank earning 0%. Right. Um, I wish you well, would have told me this two months ago. I just paid off a bunch of debt. Right. Yeah. So there's there's yeah. these issues we'd run into. And it's like, oh, well, that's cool. We can still count your retirement or your stocks and bonds. But we can only count 70% of it because there may be fees associated with getting that money out. The, the value of your stock may go down. Yeah. You know, we have to account for these risk factors. Yes. Well, now... They're allowing 100% of the value of the asset when determining reserves. Um, Mm. So that's a nice little change. Yeah, that is. I mean, especially when you're doing a jumbo loan deal. Jumbo loans, for those who aren't familiar, is any loan balance in this county, San Luis Obispo County, that exceeds $561,200. And, you know, there's a lot of other requirements that go with that, but one of the majors is that you have to have six months of reserves if the loan balance is less than a million dollars. And you, and those res, those reserves, you know, they can come from a 401k or an IRA, but, um, you know, you can run into, if you're spending $4,000 a month, do you have 
another $25,000, $30,000 that we can show. You know, and sometimes people get gifts to make up the difference, but that's for the down payment. It's not a reserve, you know? Yeah, you cannot get gift for reserves. That was right. not an allowable use right. of gift funds. Right. Gift funds could only be used for down payment and closing costs, but reserves were something that you always had to have. Right. Um, so the, the, it's a good change. I, I, you know, I do think that there was, um, it was prudent to look at those different types of accounts and, and maybe, especially the retirement account. A lot of times if you borrow against a retirement or you pull money out of a retirement, there is a penalty for early withdrawal. That's so right. that does make sense. Um, but things like stocks and bonds and things like that, you know, those are fairly, I mean, there's a pretty liquid market for that thing. You could sell that on any given day and get the money. And as long as, you know, we've verified what the value is today and things like that. I mean, there's always potential for stocks to just plummet overnight. Yeah, you should have sold Apple two weeks ago. Right. But still, I, I, I think this is, this is nice that these people at least had this money and they've made a decision to invest it in one way or another. But, you know, now they they have the ability to have this disposable income to invest. So it's reasonable to believe that they're going to have future disposable earnings and and that they're in a good place. Any other major ones? Uh, the other big one, and this one we announced a couple of weeks ago, but it's worth repeating. Um, something that is that is definitely thrown a wrench in qualification are a little thing called 2106 expenses. Mm. These are for people who itemize deductions on their tax return. It's on your Schedule A, line 21. It's the 2106 unreimbursed employee business expenses. So... If you, uh, what we commonly see is someone who might be part of like a union, like a pipe fitters union. They're a plumber, yeah. pipe fitters union. They have to pay their union dues. It's something they pay out of their own pocket, but then they get to write it off as a business expense. So it's a way for the wage earner to write off a business expense that their employer is not paying. You know, self employed people generally don't use 2106 expenses. They're either using a Schedule C or some kind of other entity yeah. where they pass all their expenses through. Right. For the wage earner, they're getting a W-2 that reports on you know line seven of your tax return. So then on Schedule A, if you have these business expenses, that's where you have the opportunity to write them off. Yeah, and I find this in the sales organization. It's the middle manager people. Construction, it's the foreman. You know, they, they need to make decisions now. The company allows them to spend you know a certain amount and they reimburse them i have a bar right now 530 dollars a month average for the last 24 months i mean that's the difference between a hundred thousand dollars in mortgage you can buy we'll see if we can't use that income you know because we have to explain it and the underwriter says "Eh, it hasn't happened long enough We'll see these 2106 expenses a lot with people who are in sales, but maybe they have a base salary plus a small commission or right. you know bonus type of incentive for reaching certain sales goals, but the majority of their income is a salary. Right. Um, but they have, you know, they're traveling, they're, they're driving their car, they're taking trips to go make sales, and those are expenses that are definitely related to to their business and it's something their employer may or may not be and in this in this case if they were reporting it as 2106 it would be something that the employer didn't reimburse them for so it's truly a business expense they should be able to write those off 
but you know inevitably we'd get a every every brand new loan officer has done this they've got a borrower oh this guy qualifies he's great and you get into underwriting you're like no your guy has like several thousand dollars in uh, business expenses that he writes off he doesn't qualify anymore debt to income ratio is too high man i missed it yeah well now maybe this uh these you know people won't make that mistake well no one's going to have the opportunity to make this mistake anymore because now Fannie Mae says, you know, you're allowed some little bit of, of business expense that, you know, we're not going to count against your gross income here. Sure. We're going to just allow you to qualify off your gross income. Makes it a little bit easier to qualify. Um, what do you think this less government is derived from, Dan? Do you think it's because... <laughs> what do I think? <laughs> Declining loan volume, possibly? Mm. No, I don't know. I mean, that's so. This is the self-preservation move, or is it like consumer confidence is high enough for long enough? Well, I think there's been, been a lot of back long enough that people are stable. You know? I, I think that that if you polled the mortgage world, the the biased mortgage world, the lenders and the bankers across yeah, yeah, the country, yeah. they're biased, right? They're in the business of making loans. They're going to say guidelines have tightened up too much. Yep. So this is, um, these are looking at little nuances of the guidelines and little areas, or maybe we can loosen this up a little bit. This one hasn't played a big role. You know, it, it's, it's something that doesn't kill too many deals. So it's not obviously not playing that big of a factor. Let's just remove it so that those a couple of extra deals can make it through. This guy, you know, seems like he should be able to afford this home. It just makes sense. Why are we counting those expenses against him sure and preventing him from from buying this home but the sufficient equity one i mean that's that's going to allow a significant amount of people that's going to allow a significant amount of people the ability to go and and purchase another home that maybe weren't yeah i think that one there's people just coming up at 20 percent equity right now that could go get another one yeah and rent it and I, I mean, they're just the looking bank, at little but... things. I mean, some of these guidelines were in place specifically for the downturn. And that, that buy and yeah. bail type of rule is a perfect example. That scenario isn't occurring anymore. For all the reasons we explained a little bit earlier, people who've hung on to their home for seven or eight years after a market crash are very unlikely to now because this rule has loosened up gonna go let the home go now sure you know why wouldn't they've hung on they've made a payment for for 84 months or whatever it is yeah yeah you know they've if they were gonna let it go they would have done it you know this is really designed at helping people who just don't have a full 30 percent equity They've bought a home in the last few years. For, they put 5% down. They've built a little equity through principal pay down and appreciation. But now their family's grown and they want to move into something larger. Yeah. But they need that rental income to qualify. This allows them to do that. So some of it's just getting rid of rules that were for a different period of time. Others, you know, a couple of these other rules are just looking at, at things um, through a different lens and, and maybe just loosening up some, somewhere where it seemed like it had gotten too tight. Um, but I think there's also this element of finding ways to make more loans. I, I do have to factor That's that in. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I just thought that'd be interesting to know what your take is on this. Um, hey, it's 1025. We do need to take a commercial break here and uh, 
have an interesting conversation. If you'd like to be a part of it, you can call us at 543-8830, 543-8830. Ask a question, share a comment. Uh, whatever you do, don't change the dial. We'll be right back with more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. Our loans are not trucked in from some big thing. They're raised right here on the Central Coast. No hormones, no GMOs, no antibiotics. Call today and get your gluten-free mortgage from a caring lender that knows you only accept the best for your family. Just call Central Coast Lending. You buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Loan. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You know, we step away and I say, don't change the dial. And I realize, who's got a radio with a dial anymore? Yeah, I mean, those are those are still classics, right? I mean, you could probably you could probably find a couple of those in some people's garages. Yeah, maybe. The old receiver. Sure, I guess. Yeah, now you just look at your phone and yeah. tell it. Right. Go to, Siri. Go to find Mortgage Matters, 92 a.m. <clears throat> Hey, there was another, uh, I, you know, we haven't talked about jobs too much anymore because it feels like the jobs market is, is so healed now, but there was a pretty, um, awesome number that really? came out this, this past week. You know, week. I'm right in that category of people that just is like, I didn't check because it's like jobs are going well. Yeah. I mean, unemployment's down, paid. jobless claims are down, you know, people are getting hired at a pretty good clip. Fed doesn't talk about it anymore. Why should we? Why should we here on that Mortgage Matters? It doesn't even matter. Yeah. But um, no, we should. This is an exciting number. Jobless claims is a weekly number that comes out. These are people who are filing for unemployment benefits. Um, and they fell by 26,000 week over week. That's nice. The number this week was 255,000 new jobless claims. 
The exciting part is that's a great number. That's a 42-year low. That's the lowest jobless claims, weekly jobless claims number since um, when was November of 1973. Do you think that's just because the jobless people are on vacation? No. They're camping. I'd, They're at Disneyland. Maybe. I don't know. I don't think so. This okay. is an incredible number. I have to challenge you, Dan. <laughs> now, this isn't an... Uh, you know, a, a, an adjusted number. It's not adjusted for the growth of the U.S. population. If you actually adjusted this number based on population growth since 1973, oh. this is an all-time low. Jobless all -time. claims have never been this low based on the people that total population. Yeah. yeah, this is a great number. And it wasn't too long ago during the peak of, of this recession that we were seeing six, seven, eight hundred thousand jobless claims per week. Yeah. And now we've been below 300,000 for a year and a half, yeah. two years now, something like that. Um, no, we've been at levels, this, this like 280,000 level is consistent with boom times in the economy. Um, so we've been at a good spot and here this past week, we've had the best jobless claims number in history. Um, that's, that's pretty awesome. That is awesome. It's just a, a, it's great to see how far we've come with our jobs market. Now, granted, I, I'm, you know, always going to try to make sure we, we've got reality here. The jobs haven't all been the highest paying jobs. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got a lot of, a lot of lower paying jobs that have, um, have have helped the jobs numbers, but not necessarily helped the wage numbers. And so that continues to drag a little bit on the jobs economy. But but we've been talking about this for the last year or so that there's, you know, we're, this is a long, slow recovery. And part of the stages of, of the jobs recovery are first reaching full employment. And then we'll start to see employers compete over the best employees, right? You know, once everyone has a job, then they're going to start to seek better jobs, and employers are going to start to compete for those better employees by offering them more money, offering them different incentives, and eventually, I, I think what this is showing is that we're getting to this point of true full employment. We're getting closer. I know there's a lot of argument there. You go look at the different unemployment numbers you look at the u6 underemployment figure and it's still pretty high um, but we're getting there we're making a lot of progress and this jobless claims number really shows that and it's it's not too long that we're going to start to see the wage start to catch up mm -hmm. um, and and start to to move higher and really boost this economic recovery so that was an exciting number i really enjoyed seeing that yeah, I, I don't really feel like um, I don't really feel like we've heard bad news in that arena at all. I'm wondering when will we see wages go up? You know, I, I don't think that's going to happen this year. I I mean, we're starting to see some of the the, the beginnings of it. We're we're reaching full employment. We're seeing large employers like a a Walmart or. What was the other one? It was like TJ Maxx, um, which owns Marshalls, I believe. Kmart or something, yeah. Um, there's, yeah, another employer. Now we're seeing municipalities like, uh, I, I believe Los Angeles has been talking about the $15 an hour wage. 
Um, wow. We've, it already, you know, in San Francisco, we've already, they already have a $15 an hour minimum wage. Um, but parts of the, you know, this is a topic of discussion where minimum wages are increasing. Large employers are starting to boost what their lowest bar of, of wages. So it's gaining momentum. And, it, and again, as we reach, as we get closer and closer to true full employment, it's, it's not even going to be about minimum wages. It's going to be about employers needing to pay more to attract the better employees. Um, yeah. So it's the it's going to figure itself out. The, this recovery is is going to work itself out. I, I you know as much policy as you want to try to put out there as the government's trying to force this to happen, the economy is going to going to make it happen on its own. Dictate. I think you know it moves faster than bureaucracy. So I I For think sure. it's going to happen um, here. And and I agree. I, I do think we're <laughs> we're probably you know six to twelve months off. Um, before we really start to see consistent increases in wages, we've seen it here a month, month here and there, but nothing consistent, nothing that proves it's sustainable at this point. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, you could be in a lot worse places in the U.S. right now, globally, and I, I feel like one of the reasons the U.S. is, is, uh, well, I won't open up a can of worms, but you know, the quantitative easing that we did was really working out, I think. You know, that really was a smart move. And that is political, or if you want to get into just, you know, financial um, strategy, I just think that we made some smart moves, and now we're reaping the benefits, and other other countries are on the downturn. It's pretty easy to look over at Europe and, and come to that conclusion. Um, I will say that we haven't seen the full cycle of what, all of the bond buying and stuff has done, you know, we haven't, we haven't, now we've accumulated a lot of debt as a result of these policies. So we haven't quite seen how we're going to unwind it all. So I think there's still another chapter in this whole story, but so far it does feel like it's provided a big boost to the economy. It it sure wouldn't feel as good if we were fumbling around still like um, some of the European countries seem to be doing um, who, who failed to really take any action. Yeah. Um, So yeah, right now it feels like we're, we're leading this race um, when you just compare the two, um, the two regions of the, of the world and, and how we've fared through this economic recovery. Um, that does affect rates quite a bit, you know? I mean, it really does. This week we'll see the Fed come out on Wednesday and have a meeting. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'd say this. Um, it's July. I mean, this is another big meeting. This week we'll see a lot of pressure on financial news saying what's going to happen or can rates go up. Yeah, the markets are going to be looking for at that statement that's released after their meeting, and they're going to be looking for any any new clues. Um, I think it's very, very unlikely that there's any change in policy at this meeting. Um, I believe it was uh, a week or two ago that there was some testimony from from Fed Chair Yellen that, and she basically indicated that there would likely be a press conference following any 
change in policy. And the press conferences are scheduled. They only happen four times a year. Mm. So the Fed meets, I think it's it's 10 or 12 times a year, but only four of those meetings are followed by a scheduled press conference. So yeah, yeah, yeah. the expectation is that either the September or December meetings, if it's going to happen this year, are the likely times because those are when there's the scheduled press conferences after the meeting. Um, so that's when economists are betting on for the for any change in policy this july meeting um yeah all meetings are big and all meetings come with a statement that could yield some new clues but this one's not um not likely to to see any significant change in policy um so we'll see it's always interesting though yeah so if you're buying a house let's say you entered escrow over the last seven days or you know someone that's entered escrow in the last seven days, and they're just, you know, just excited about being able to own a house. Do you think right now is a good time for them to lock a loan, based on what we did last week? I mean, all the, 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 the we, on Monday the tre- the ten year Treasury note was at two point three six. On Friday it was at two point two, two. I want to say maybe two point two three. Yeah. Would we? Is this a sweet spot? Is this a pocket where you could say, "Yeah, lock alone. I don't need to see what happens after the Fed meeting." This yeah, is- I I would say definitively yes. It's a it's a good time to lock in an interest rate if you've been floating an interest rate and you're actively involved in a loan transaction. I always look at the recent trading range of that ten year note because there's a there's a historic relationship between the ten year Treasury and the thirty year fixed mortgage. Mm. Um, and when I look at the trading range of that 10-year treasury yield, it's at the low end of the recent range. So so what does that mean? You're getting pretty technical. What well, I mean, we've been trading range? in a range probably from 2, 2.25 to 2.5% okay. on the yield. And we're, we closed out the week at 2.26, right near the bottom of the range. Almost like a 50-day right. average for yeah. a stock or something. Yeah, if you look back a month or two months or, you know, the the treasury yield, you look at it and, and you can see it volleys within a, a fairly tight range and then it crosses a threshold and then it moves into the next range, whether yeah. it's up or down. Yeah. And uh, and we moved over that two and a quarter and we've been stuck higher and it's gone as high. I mean, even this past week, we saw it as high as 2.4 or a little higher than that. Um, so it eased its way back down. Um, you know, Thursday and Friday were big. We saw reprices all day long, um, those days for improvement. Maybe it was Wednesday and Thursday, but we saw a lot of improvement in mortgage prices the second half of this week. And we're at the lowest, we're at the low end of that recent range. So I think now is definitely the time to take advantage. We know we're in an upward trend as far as rates go, um, looking forward. So you got to look at these, these short term opportunities to, to lock in. So yeah. Yeah. I dropped every, I locked everyone in my pipeline and dropped everyone about an eighth of a point in note rate. So if they were expecting to pay four four and three eighths, they got four and a quarter, no cost to them. And boy, is that a fun call for you to your clients, Love right? those. Hate doing the other one. Yeah. yeah. Things didn't work out this week. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot better to exceed expectations. That's what we always aim to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not easy. So you just have to be educated about it. And that's what we try to do. Again, that's 
that's uh, one of the primary objectives of this show is to not only hold ourselves accountable, yeah. but yeah. to hopefully educate you so that you can participate in these decisions um, when you're involved in a transaction. It's important to know what affects interest rates and, and how we look at things and what guides our decisions. So uh, this is a, a time where we need to take our final commercial break. We've got a couple more topics that we'll discuss. If you have a question, we've got a little opportunity for you to squeeze it in, 543-8830. But we'll be right back after these messages. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more, but now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. All right, this is the home stretch, my favorite part. Really start to look forward to getting on with my weekend. We can see land. That's right. But um, still got some more 
more news that I think you'll find interesting. Um, we're, we have, as, as much as we've seen recovery in housing and, and a little bit of a return to normalcy, Wes Burke was on the show last weekend and he said of the past 10 years, this is probably the most normal market he has seen um, where, you know, we're not in, it's not so competitive and ultra competitive and chaotic when making an offer. I mean, we're still seeing multiple offers. We're still seeing pretty competitive um, bids, I guess you'll say, for for well-priced homes that are yeah. new on the market. Right. Um, but it's not as competitive, but still competitive. Small PUD development, public urban development behind Staples on Broad Street in San Luis Obispo. I want to say it was eight units, uh, attached PUDs, 18 offers on one unit, priced at 432. Recently? Yeah. Yeah. See, that low end is where we're still seeing huge competition. Yeah. And um, our office was able to get in there and get a borrower in. Sweet. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's really where we're still seeing the the majority of the competition is that lowest end of the market because that's the entry level housing. It's also very attractive to an investor. Yeah. Um, buy something, get it rented, property cash flows, real nice thing to to buy and hold. Um, or if if it's an all cash buyer, whether they're um, doing it for for rental or for ownership, you know, for their themselves to reside in. If you have all cash, yeah. you know you it's easier to uh, to put all cash down on the lower True. priced home than the higher priced home yeah you don't yeah. want to save it in your portfolio doesn't do much for you there not not right now anyway so but there is a story that came out and this i was this through mba or nar someone released this um i found it to be pretty interesting that bidding or I'm sorry, this is about the, the rentals. And what's contributing to this supply-demand issue that we're experiencing is that since the housing downturn, a lot of investors have picked up the depressed housing stock. A lot of investors came in, bought homes at low prices, turned them into rentals, and they're enjoying positive cash flow and appreciation. So they have even more equity or whatever in, in these homes. And and they're just they've just proven to be great investments and it and they're not selling them not right flipping not no selling they're they've them, got yeah. mortgage they've you've got when when you own uh, rental property one of the big advantages is is the depreciation write-off and that lasts for 30 years or 40 years i don't even know what it is I, it's 30 or 40 years so you're not necessarily just going to flip that home in a couple years um, you may, if you want to take advantage of the appreciation, but a lot of them are enjoying the positive cash flow. They know the appreciation's occurred, and they can just kind of sleep well at night knowing that. Yeah, and let's go on. Um, but I was going to say that um, you know the, they're enjoying that positive cash flow, and what we've seen is since 2005 a huge increase in the overall housing stock that is rental property. Yep. In 2005, about 9% of housing stock across the country was rental property. And today, 13% of housing stock across the country is rental property. So that's a pretty big increase. Well, yeah, and no other houses are being built, right? So Not a lot. So we continue to flood the market with new young college students getting out of college, having families, not having enough to buy, not having another, enough options to buy. 
and not a lot and of of the stuff that is being built not a lot of it's at the lower end because costs to build have gone up you know while all homes have appreciated in value over these last several years so has land land's yeah. a big part of home cost um all the materials have have gone up ask any builder lumber's gone up paint's gone up you know all these things have gone up taxes on these different um components of your home have gone up yep um fees have gone up fees for sure you know the the time fees, just that. the time to get something through the process has taken longer that adds to cost so building a home has gotten more expensive and it makes it harder to build a home and put it on the market at the lowest end so what we see is a lot of the the newest homes are coming on at more expensive i mean you saw something that was in the 400s that's some of the lowest new priced homes i've even heard of an attached public urban development yeah i mean it's a little bit different we need to it's a smart growth move you know it's a smart growth move here for san luis but we need more of that mm -hmm. we need that coming out on the market every three months but it's hard we just don't see it most of the new developments we see are are a little more expensive um i i would call them your low to mid level um point kind of depends i mean every every development's different but but this is something nationally that is impacting the supply demand issue we have in a normal market where you've got a, a more normal ratio of owner occupants to investors those owner occupants will eventually um outgrow their home or want something newer you know their family units changing and and you know something right. happens whether they get raises or promoted. yeah they get raises right it depends on where they are in their life cycle maybe yeah. they're on the the other side of Correct. it where people are moving out and they need to downsize or, yep. or something like that but when it's an owner occupied home the cycle of of the cell of that home happens a little faster than with an investor who can enjoy the the tax advantages for 30 years um that's so, right so because the housing stock is is there's a higher percentage of rental property now we're seeing a little less turnover of the existing housing stock than in in the past so that's impacting um the the housing market so yeah one of the things that i'd like to add just because i do deal with some of these investors now and throughout the state central valley northern like Sacramento area down here, it's not as as common, but a lot of these investors got really well trained and seasoned through the downturn on how to buy a house, how to hold it, how to flip it. They're creating these small real estate investment groups where they're now managing, convincing people that have cash on hand, half a million, one million, two million dollars in cash, give us half a million, give us a million bucks, we'll invest in these other properties and give you a guaranteed return. Be part of our REIT. Be part of our REIT. And it's not uncommon. I'm dealing with two or three of them now. The third one is coming out of San Diego and they're buying properties up here in Guadalupe in Northern Santa Barbara County. And they're just taking advantage of a model that works with investors that are comfortable with the risk. And that's going to take away. And if we don't start building, that takes away from the average Joe that just wants to get into a house. Yeah. And you know what? You're, you're bringing up an issue that is something we've touched on um, over the years of doing this show about the need for 
some affordable housing. There's there's several groups in the area. There's an interesting viewpoint article written in the Tribune this week um, by John Fowler. He's the president and CEO of People's Self Help Housing. Mm-hmm. And there was one um, huge takeaway I had. You know, he this article is advocating for the the need for affordable housing and you know maybe some government initiatives to help spur that effort along. But I've, there was a statistic that was thrown out here um, in this article, and I'll, I'll share it with you. According to a report released this year by the National Low Income Housing Coalition, a San Luis Obispo County resident would need to work nearly two full-time jobs at the county's average renter wage in order to afford a two-bedroom unit priced at fair market rent. So yeah. someone needs to work two jobs to afford to rent the average place here yeah. in this county. Yeah. That's not realistic. That's not reasonable. No. I mean, to work, you basically sleep a third of your life. You work a third of your life. You want to enjoy, <laughs> have some, some that, free right? time for, the, for that last third, right? Well, this says that for the average Joe, you got to spend two-thirds of your life working and the other third sleeping just to afford a place to live. Yeah. That's, that's a hard spot to be in in this county. Um, and it's not... How was it in the 1940s that the guy could go to work, mom could stay home, and everything was fine? I mean, you know... You can't really answer that question, but it just seems yeah. that seems like such a false reality. Like the leave it to beaver days. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Here's Bye Dad. <laughs> and like he comes back at five fifteen on the dot. How was yeah. your day? Yeah. Exactly. I mean I yeah, I can't I don't have first hand knowledge of it, but I I can only imagine that, you know, when homes were when you could buy a home for twenty thousand bucks or you know, ten thousand dollars, whatever they were at different periods of time, that it was a substantially lower percentage of your overall household income that it, you had the opportunity to have a one person household working and, and still be able to afford a nice home and, yeah. um, you know, enjoy time with your family. And that's just becoming more and more difficult, especially in areas like San Luis Obispo, where the, the price of a home is so out of whack with the average income in the area. You even have uh, Cal Poly professors not being able to afford to buy a house yeah. in San Luis. We do yeah. a lot of Cal Poly um, uh, employee loans, and, and we see, you know, some of them who've been there a long time, you know, they make great incomes mm-hmm. and, and that, but there are a lot of, a lot of the faculty there, um, they're younger and and they haven't had that tenure where they've their income has increased yeah. so much and you yeah. know, they make modest incomes and and those are great jobs and all but it's the the incomes are modest and in this area they have to there has to be a two household income yeah uh, to be able to afford just a normal house here in San Luis it's expensive here in California even with the, like the gas when I went into Nevada and Arizona this past week. You'd see the Chevron station in in uh, Needles at like four dollars a gallon. Nobody there, and you go a couple of miles over into Arizona, and the gas is two fifty eight. So everybody's going over into Arizona oh and buying gosh. the gas. Wow. wow, yeah, because of all the taxes we got on it. Yeah, so yeah. it's a, it's yeah. a difficult environment here to own a home, um, but you know as 
as the mortgage experts here, we we try to pull pull every tool out of our tool bag to help you figure out a way to own uh, real estate. Um, whether it's it's for yourself to occupy for your family or whether it's to to get into that first rental property or whether it's just to add to your portfolio we've got every yep. loan program under the sun we can even help you build a new one that's right in fact we're uh, we're working with some clients just this week who've put an offer in on a lot we're gonna help them finance their lot purchase um, they're uh, hoping to break ground within the year and we will facilitate the construction piece as well and then when it's all said and done they'll have a nice 30-year fixed loan and a brand new home here in san luis obispo so whatever your goal create uh, the supply <laughs> we've uh, we've got the mortgage product to help you out um, we offer competitive interest rates we'll go toe-to-toe with any company whether it's the big dogs like wells fargo or the little um, brokers will compete for your business and uh, we'll provide you with the best service along the way um, that's what we strive to do at Central Coast Lending. Here on the Mortgage Matters Show, we uh, we try to. It, it's an ongoing resume. It's it's to let you know who we are, let you know that we're part of your community, that we're in your corner, and that we uh, we stay in touch with the market, um, and we try to educate you about this process too, about all the different components, whether it's guidelines or market factors, loan program changes, different things that can help you plan. Uh, whether you're in the market today or going to be in the market in the future, we want to help you out. Yeah, we are. We we really do feel like um, that this market here in San Luis Obispo has the ability for young professionals to stay here. They just have to be smart about it. So we welcome young professionals, whether they're uh, you know for listeners, whether they're your children living here or it's you listening right now. Come sit down and strategize with us. You know, it's never too early to get pre-qualified. Yeah. We'll run into unexpected credit issues, yep. um, things you might know not know about tax yep. strategy to yep. help you plan for it's the a future. Great time to do that. Let's talk about fifteen. What we're going to put on the taxes, you know, reasonably plan for what you can do next year. It's a great time to start doing that. Yeah, and uh, if you need any help, we've got offices located all over the county. Um, one number rings them all. It's 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. You can find the wonderful Mike Points in our San Luis Obispo location near the corner of Marsh and Johnson. Um, I sit out in Morro Bay every day. We've got great agents out there, agents in the North County. All over the county, we can help you out. Um, lot, con- lot financing, construction financing, refinancing or purchasing uh, a home for you to live or to uh, have a rental property. We can help you out. Um, visit us online at centralcoastlending.com. It's a great website. We put a lot of effort into it. We keep you up to date on the market. We have information about all of the loan programs that are available, um, resources for you there if you want to do your own homework before you talk to someone. Uh, we also have an online loan application. It's secure. It, uh, it gets you off to a fast start in the loan process. We also boast a 21-day processing um, timeline where so we can get you in and out of escrow quickly so that you can actually enjoy the experience. You're not feeling pressured. You're not feeling rushed at the end that, that this may not come together. We really uh, strive to work ahead of schedule and close escrows on time, be in a position to close early. Let us help you out. We're Central Coast Lending, 543-LOAN, or centralcoastlending.com. We'll be back next week with another episode of Mortgage Matters. Enjoy your weekend.